And welcome, yes, to episode number 2020. They said we'd never make it. Oh, who said that, Andy? I don't know. <laughs> we never thought we'd make it. Well, I thought we did. Yeah, I don't know, but 20's a significant number. Yeah, double decade. So we're like almost a year old. Well, um, we will be very, very soon. So when this particular podcast comes out, it's about two weeks off a year old. Okay. And then just for listeners' point of view... Um, episode 21. Will episode be 21 actually will be released a year into the podcast. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. How yeah. about that? That is pretty good. Yeah, we found stuff to talk about all this time. I was kind of hoping that we'd keep it going like every two weeks, so we'd be at 26, but oh, life gets in the way. It does. It does. And that, yeah... That's part and parcel of why we play internet, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Hey, how are you going anyway? Yeah, all right. Yeah, all yeah. right. Yeah, you're looking very relaxed. Yeah, tomorrow's a holiday. I know. How could it not be relaxed? Except every day's a holiday for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for a little bit longer, but not too much longer. Okay. Anyway, yeah. so um, what are you drinking at the moment, Kana? I am drinking a pale ale. It's by... No, Mountain Goat Pale Ale. Oh, yeah. And it's got a... Uh, a light chestnutty, chestnutty hazel. Fuck this, no. It's just a nice beer. It's a nice beer. Yeah, yeah. how's your wine? Well, I've got a, I think it's called a Tucsona Billmore Shiraz. Oh, yeah. And it's um, it's very nice. It actually, it tastes like it's worth more money than it actually is. Well, that's what you want from a glass. Mm. And we're drinking at the um, 11 rooftop bar in the Fortitude Valley. Okay. What a wicked view. It's just epic. You've got this view over the whole city. It's good. It's kind of like like a little mini Manhattan, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit of Manhattan in Bris Vegas. Yeah. So there you go. I reckon this place would be absolutely swinging in during summer because you get that, that cooler breeze above the city. Yeah. It'd just be lovely up here. Well, even right now, you've got a nice, lovely breeze. I mean, it's the usual thing within Queensland. It's technically the middle of winter and it's what... What, it was meant to get 27 or 28 degrees Celsius today? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Middle of winter, freezing. I even wore a jumper this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Heavens forbid. Anyway, those, uh, those tasting note suggestions, I think, came from... Um, we got an email that came through from Jason... Was it 4747? 7474? 4747. Asking us to, um, you know... Say a little bit more about the drinks. Does your wine taste like a backstabber? It tastes like a sweet victory solo. Uh, 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 a winning a winning moment in Game of Thrones. Well, yeah, I'd just be happy with the winning <laughs> game of diplomacy. Which is topical because we, um, we actually uh, interviewed Roughhouse 8 for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is the discussion around Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, but we'll let the interview speak for itself there. Um, but we did want to talk about a couple of things prior yeah. to that. That's happened. There's a lot that's actually happened in the last week or so, at least just from my perspective. Yes. About what's been going around the ground. Not, sorry, not, not, not around the ground from the gaming. From, sorry, from your personal game. But, well, yeah, actually, there's been a lot going around in the flu at the moment. That's why you can tell it's winter. Um, but no, just in uh, activity and discussion around things that are going on. Yeah. I mean, 
I haven't been paying a lot of attention in the last couple of weeks to the forum and web dip just because it changes so quickly. Yep. But, but there has been a lot of conversation there around that they've actually doing that forum update that was discussed by Zulta. Yeah, and I did check it out, um, and it looks well, it looks more modern, and it looks like you can put emoticons in and stuff. Emoticons. Yeah. Um, nice. And you can. I, I'm pretty sure you can hyperlink. Websites, yep. but which we couldn't do in the normal forum. Um, and look, it looks look, it looks updated. It looks more modern. Um, I, I can't really say too much more on it because I haven't really tried it. I understand there's some connection issues some players have been having, but I'm sure that when all that irons out, it'll uh, it'll roll out, mm-hmm. and WebDiv will have this new forum, um, which will be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. I mean, I'm not quite sure, but I mean, I'm assuming once that's done and the way that the whole PHP code base works, if Ollie wanted to pick that up and implement it within VDIP, would he be able to? Well, WebDIP's an open source yeah. project. Yeah, yeah. So, so I would assume that if... Um, Obviously, you need to test it and everything. Yeah, like once that. it's tested and it's, you know, it's found to be stable, mm. I'm sure that there'd be no real problems with rolling that out or that platform for the forum out to other sites which are using the code um, as to whether that as to whether you want to is another question um, I, I, think, I think the volume of activity within VDIP is within the forum at least is generally a lot lower um, some would say thank god others would not <laughs> it's true and which probably doesn't kind of necessitate the need to do all that. But I, I quite like that, um, you know, turn of the century look of a forum. You know, I, I'm not, <laughs> we I'm say not turn of the century, you mean like, like 1999 to 2000? As opposed to the background illustrations, which are more like, you know, 1899 to 1900. <laughs> Oh, just a bit of an old fogey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I like I like that 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 orts, what they call them, the noughts. The noughties. The noughts. The noughts. I like that look at that forum. It doesn't have all that hyperlinky, emoticony type. Yeah, I think stuff. we need I think we need more animated gifs with you know site under construction. Well, if they're going to put in emoticons, they need to have emoticons with like little smileys with stab swords in their back, and um, you know. People laughing hilariously and drinking blood, you know, because that's how you feel sometimes in, in the games of diplomacy. Sometimes you can, yeah, sometimes you can. But um, I did mention a certain person that we haven't heard of for quite a while. Yeah, um, Ollie has made a return to the site, which is really exciting. Um, so you're you're a bit of an insider within, as we've said before, from a, a mod point of view. Well, at least you've still got mod powers, even though you're technically not a mod. But uh, you you have been obviously involved and had some conversations because you were the one who posted something in the VDIP forum around um, changes that were occurring to the rankings um, as a result of a rebuild that Ollie had done to the yeah. rankings for VDIP. Essentially, uh, what's been happening at VDIP is that the uh, the, the the volume of games has grown too large for the simple um, reliability rankings algorithm yep. and the point system um, to be easily recalculated, and it needs to be recalculated every so often because when games get cancelled or if there's um, various 
uh, mod investigation actions which require games to be um, or players to be booted um, and uh, just over time these small discrepancies in the reliability rankings and um, players um, uh, players well, sorry the, the reliability ratings and the players point rankings slowly uh, build up until the players start to notice that there's issues hang on I my points aren't what they really should be at and that's and, and we've been noticing an increase in people noticing that there's these been these problems both with their reliability ratings and their points uh, received after they played games yep. right and that's just simply because of um, uh, the, the, the algorithm hasn't been working for some time um, because there's been so many games actually um, archived on the site um, so what happened most recently in a game um, that you and I both signed up for a World War 4 game um, oh yeah, yeah. It was accidentally cancelled, yep. essentially, and a number of players noticed that their reliability ratings had gone down, and their oh, because of that points, yeah, essentially because what had happened was that the game was um, uh, was taken. It's the, taken the, the out moderator, the, the moderator at the time, tried to move it forward two turns, right, in order to give Indonesia a build that it needed and deserved because there was an error in that bearing. Has it always been there, that, that error? Um, yeah, it has, oh. apparently. Okay, um, didn't know it's, this. It's an easy fix. Anyway, but because of this, um, that moderator contacted Ollie and said, please, please, please come back and have a look at some of the stuff. Um, long and short, Ollie came back and uh, one of the first things he sort of has looked at is the... Um, the V dip points and the recalculation um, needed and he basically said pretty much what I've just said is that the games we've got too many games on the system for the algorithm to work properly yeah. so the immediate fix is to say okay let's um, arbitrarily start the game start the ranking system at the 1st of the 1st 2016 yep. and recalculate everyone's games from that point forward right um, with the longer term view, to um, with a longer term view, to uh, twiddle with the algorithm so it actually does go back to doing all of the, the reliability ratings and all of the over the whole span yep. of all the games. Um, but for the immediate fix, that's uh, so. Sorry, so it will go back before the first of the first 2016, or at some stage, or not? It will go back and take into account all games before that at some point okay um, but for now the immediate fix to fixing everyone's reliability ratings and their points so is this to, is this is more we should be seeing this more as a short-term yes yeah, see, see it's a short-term solution yeah, okay. um, if it stays then um, as of um, you know this time next year it'll boot towards the first the first 2017 so you'll have to stay active on the okay. site to stay ranked okay yeah. i mean i've got i've got a couple of things around that and i'd like to get your view about it as well um the first being i can see obviously why it needs to be done yep um at a personal level i'm kind of i haven't done very well out of this myself 
<laughs> I've kind of dropped a, a fair whack, yep. and um, that may have something to do with you know my rankings maybe have done reasonably well by one particular game that I made like you know about twelve hundred or fourteen hundred a gazillion points a points yeah. on you know what I mean and uh, yeah most people in MR'd on but I still managed to win. Um, yeah. You know, I and mean, I've been kind of trading off that for quite a while. But the other thing would be, and it's it's painful to say it, but it's true, is that it will probably pull down my reliability rating. Because in more recent times, I've been a little bit less, um, uh, I suppose, on the ball. And occasionally, more, sorry, more often now than I was in the past, yes. I'm failing to... Put in some orders. I'm CDing probably a little bit more often. Well, NMRing, not CDing. Well, NMRing. Occasionally CDing too. That's <laughs> okay. Um, so I haven't actually checked it. Actually, I haven't checked my reliability rating, but I'm guessing it would have gone down as well then. Anyway. But um, how have you fared? Um, well, I, at a personal level, I really honestly haven't bothered to look. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not concerned with my points. I'm not really concerned with my reliability. I know they're both pretty good. You know, they're not obviously not be... good enough for you to care. <laughs> yeah, if you also, really care, if I really cared, yeah, if you gave uh, a shit, you'd kind of, you know, be. Yeah, I know, and I, I recognise this, um, but it's better to have. We felt it's better to have um, accurate records after a certain date than it is to have inaccurate records that compound in problems I agree as that. time yeah, goes yeah. by and it's not as if that it's not as if that we're not Ollie is not going to be looking into an AS said he's looking into ways to um, uh, include the older games but for now this is what we're left with um, having said all that Ollie has he's come oh, back. But before we before we do that, can we come back to Ollie in a moment? Yeah. One thing I'd like to say, and again, it depends on how difficult it is, and you know, we'll, we will get to the Ollie thing soon. But you know, and what bandwidth he's got. But ideally, I'd love, I'd love, 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 love to see VDIP take on the same type of um, approach that PlayDIP does, and that SuperDipsy talked to us about with one of his interviews a while back, where if a player just kind of goes away. Obviously, their 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 um, ranking erodes over time because they're not actively well, playing. But then when they come back, all that stuff kind of just comes back again. You know what I mean? As, as I understood Super Dipsy's system, um, the if a player hasn't played a game in like two months or whatever the the, the, the cutoff time was, they disappear from the ranking system entirely. That's it. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yep. Um, but if they come back, two months? Their, Is it two months? Well, it was a period of time. Um, Maybe six months, twelve six months. Six months, twelve months. I'm not sure. Um, I'm fairly certain it was uh, on the on the lesser length of time. Um, but that player disappears from the ranks. But if that replayer returns, then their uh, their ranks return in its entirety. Yep. And I think that's quite an elegant solution um, to the problem of. You know, getting super lucky twice in a row and earning two sets of gazillion points and being on the top forever. Well, I agree. I agree. I think I think that there's a system that where someone's kind of come along, smashed everybody, and then we're hey, 
job done. <laughs> off Clock I go. out for like three or four years, and it's yeah. still at the top. That kind of, I know that doesn't. I think I agree with you. I think that doesn't bode well for the other players. But where's you know if that person you know he's, he's nipped off for three months and then he just disappears from the top ten yep. until he returns and he has to play a game to return and prove he's still up there, worthy of being up there. It makes a lot of sense. You're coming 164th. That's not too bad. What were you before? I don't know. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know. I'm 51st now. I used to be in the 30s. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. I feel pretty bad. You know what this actually means, though? What? At some point in time, we're going to have to go back and do a... um, go through the whole Hall of Fame all over again for VDIP. Oh, we will have to do a Hall We never of actually fame. finished doing WebDIP either. Oh, did we? I can't even remember where we got up to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if we just start again at VDIP, I'm sure we'll go. Uh, well, yeah. we're going to have to with the new... Yeah. Well, we'll wait for this to get sorted first yeah. before we kind of get back into that. So, let's get on to the Ollie thing, the big news. So, so what's the deal? So, Ollie's now well, look, he's, he's, doing he's, some things. Oh, he's... Um, he's taken an extended break um, from the sign. Yeah, and he's come back, and he's um, he, he's comfortable working in the background. Um, he's always comfortable working in the background. He's not uh, going to be uh, as hands-on as he was before. Right. Put it that way. So um, we do have our owner back, um, and we fingers crossed as, as things go on, um, he uh, continues to be. Um, engaged in this side than he has been in recent times. I have to say too, there was like this, um, he came back briefly, it was about 18 months ago when 1600 I think came to the site. Yeah. There was like this flurry of, of oliness and we had 1600, there was talk about 1900 coming over any moment now and then it just went quiet again. So I, I do hope I do hope for the benefit of the community that Ollie in fact is built up around him whether he realises it or not yeah and it's, it's, it's great to actually have him back and um, making posts in the mod forum and it's really, you know, oh he's even posting in the mod forum too yeah, is he yeah he is posting in the mod forum and um, it's yeah look it's just real, I'm really happy that he's, he's come back and he's, I'm exceptionally I'm happy really yeah. I mean, I think I think in one of our podcasts when we were, um, I think I was concerned about where things could go, you know, when you have a an admin who's literally just keeping the lights on, but that's about it. Essentially, yeah. yeah. So I'm really pleased, really, really pleased for, for the community he's created. I'm pleased for the game, and I'm pleased for him, because hopefully, you know, he kind of gets back into his groove and he goes, hey, this shit's good. And, um, well, hopefully, no pun intended, gets um, to be able to connect in with him with some of the interesting stuff he's... Well, did, um, you, get the, um, did you get the email from him, or was it just me? Um, yeah, I, I received the email alongside you, um, and he's doing um, some stuff in regards to his 1900... Well, this gets back to the um, database you were talking about before, because he's obviously been working with Ollie around bringing 1900 to VDIP, and... He, one of the things he's kind of mentioned that I think is a rather cool thing every single game within the database has a, a game number yes you know what I mean an ID number and um, in fact I didn't know this but the way that the database had been configured it would only take 255 games and that's it There's 255 variants. variants yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he wanted of course to have something funky and have 1900 being the, the number of the variant yeah, which is pretty, yeah, I mean, arbitrary, but I get oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, I you know. It. But this, this, I think, gets back to 
our interview with him where he wants to kind of create, move away from hacks and go towards a long-term, sustainable, flexible model for the way that PHP diplomacy will work, whether yeah, it's hell. in VDIP or WebDIP or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and doing these type of things to kind of remove a, a database thing that just limits you to 255 to not look god if we had if we had 255 variants yeah. and then we got to 256 and the whole thing doesn't work anymore pretty quickly we'd work out which, which shit to get rid yeah, of what, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah what ones you'd, you'd, you'd lose um, but, but while we're on um, while we're on um, no pun intended and the fact that he's mucking around with um, the 90, 1900 variants. He also, um, in that email, um, is uh, he's, he's, he's going to be running a year-long team-based diplomacy variant at playdiplomacy.com, mm-hmm. um, and it's called Dynasties. And it's yeah, played. Oh yeah, I thought it was called Dynasties of Time, but yeah, his email says Dynasties. You're right. And, and the two variants that'll be played is the 1812 Overture oh, no, no, and no. Dissolution. <laughs> So no, 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 are... no, 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 no. Okay, you've only got a little bit of a message because I've already got other stuff, but I'll kind of fill oh, you in. But okay. you are kind of I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm advertising for it, so... I oh, know, you're right. You're, you're good. Don't worry, you're good. Yeah, all right. Kana, and, you are good. And so... Except when you're back. Except um, when I'm... Yeah. <laughs> except when <laughs> I'm what, wrong. But what yeah. my understanding, from what he's kind of talked about within um, um, the Play Dip forum, is the idea of a um, tournament through time. So he's actually looking at about five or six different maps okay. at different periods, and yep. you have these teams that would be involved. Think about from a um, uh, a team which would have, you know, uh, individual one would be playing this game. Like, um, I don't know, let's just make the math easy, even though it's not. 901, okay? Okay, right. And then um, there'd be another member of the team who would then play a game that was set on, say, the First Crusade, say, in the 1500s. And then someone who would play a 1600s within the team. And then, you know, a... Oh, okay, uh, I get you know, it. You know, a 1812 game, and then a 1900 game, and then a Versailles game, and then a Disillusion game. So you'd have a team maybe of, like, comprising six or seven different people, and one member, on behalf of the team plays in each of those particular games and then the results then kind of get tallied up to work out which team won the tournament made history correct and I think you and I were uh, received the email from an invitee point of view because um, both 1812 Overture and Disillusion are forum based games which within the play diplomacy um, um, business model their their email well, they're based on yeah, the email, email slash forum yeah, PM yeah, type so of games. Published on the forum and email Yeah, and they're the type yeah. of games that you can, um, anyone can play within Play Diplomacy. Anyone can just kind of sign up um, without having to take out a, an active paid membership. Okay. So within the, um, the Play Diplomacy uh, community, as we've talked about before, you can go in there right now and you can play up to three normal standard games without any actual cost, any membership. Yep. But you can also play forum-based games without any cost or membership. It's all the other um, intricacies, both in the way that um, a standard classic game can be configured, but also some of the other things that they've got, which, say, VDIP doesn't have and WebDIP doesn't have, like, you know, um, Versailles 1900 yep. and a couple of other um, ones, I think mostly those, 
Well, and those, those will be part part of the actual tournament team, but obviously the people who will be playing those ones, like Versailles 1900, will be play-dip players. Okay. Well, it doesn't have to be play-dip players, then. I mean, no, you have to be because that's those to play those. You actually have to have a paid membership. Oh, to play the um, with the system, no, but to play with this invitation to this um, tournament. The, correct. Which is, yeah, you don't have a to forum be game. You don't need a membership. Yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. So, um, we'll put a link into the show notes at this point. Yep. Um, I'm thinking about joining up on it. I don't know about you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, are so, going to be good. I mean, he's. Are we going to be on the same team, or are we going to be on opposing teams? Well, hang on, we'll have to figure that one out with. Um, we'll have Alex, to get from. But, yeah, he might. Um, want, he might, he might want it to uh, be on opposing teams and kind of get a bit of confrontation. Well, well, a bit since, of bit happening. Since the optimum size is two to four players, um, maybe we could have like a V dip team, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, but again, you'd probably need to have somebody who is. A V-dip player who has play-dip membership. Well, it doesn't have to be play-dip membership. If it's, oh, if God, it's forum didn't you based. listen to what we just say? <laughs> I did. Uh, anyway, all right. Okay, for so the forum-based games like Disillusion and 1812, yes, you're 100% correct. But things like 1900, Versailles, all those type of things which currently aren't in the forum games, but they're actually based in the normal play-diplomacy yes, game if you have a paid membership. the forum games being played that we know about is the 1812 Overture and Dissolution, which both are just forum-based games. Yes, so, uh, yes, yes, but if you've got a tournament... Sorry, if you've got a team of video players, yes. they can only play the non-paid games. So you couldn't possibly have a team then because some of them wouldn't have access to... to, to some of them wouldn't have access to Versailles or 1900. But surely it being a forum-based <laughs> tournament, he's playing with variants that are on the forum. <laughs> Oh, I don't think so. Uh, we're, we're talking in we're talking in circles. Um, we'll put the link to that. that never happens. We'll, we'll put we'll put the <laughs> we'll put the link to it. If you guys, if anyone's interested you, I, in it, I follow the what, link. There is there actually is a post somewhere within the Playdip forum area talking about all this stuff. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. We'll put the link. We'll put a link to, to, to that. <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm saying. The link to that. Everybody had one drink. Notes. Oh my god! I'm sure, you didn't have a, have, a, have like one for lunch. Anyway, I did actually. <laughs> yeah, but that would have been burnt off by now. <laughs> oh, I wish I had one for lunch. Oh, uh, dear. Anyway. So, in which um, case, we should probably get a drink and, and, and um, then we'll pause and. Tell you what, how about um, we get a drink? Fuck, Back at a tip. Okay, and we're back. We are back. Come on. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Yep. Now, just before I went and got you a drink, you were bitching about... What was, what was I? Jeez, you're, you're fucking useless today. I come back, I come back, to, the ta- I come back to the table and you start going blah, 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 blah. This is what before we were recording, folks. And it was like totally... Off whack. I must have been having this full conversation in my head. You were bitching and complaining beforehand about there only being four beers on tap here. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more of a wine place than a beer place. Yes, but the last place that we had drinks at, they only had literally one bottle of red wine. Serves you right. You could be dragging me out to these places that have this huge range of wines. Anyway, it's still a nice beer. It's a Victorian beer. Yes, yes. It's. I'm originally Victorian. Don't hold that against me. It shows. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, anyway. So um, we've talked a little bit about 
what well, was happening with, with um, No Pun Intended and the tournament. We're going to link off to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure you check that link because um, it'll be really cool, I think, to get a bunch of V-dippers in there to, mm-hmm. you know, have a, have a good good old battle. So, um, I mean, the other thing I'll just mention briefly, as, as we know, uh, he was also the... Um, the tournament director for the or the game master for the um, uh, the dissolution game. Should we move to another table? Yeah, I think we might move to another table because we've had a whole heap of people set up to our paper. Let's move to another table. Okay, folks, we've moved. Um, hopefully, the audio is still okay. If anything, hopefully the audio is better now. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but, we know that you know. People said, you know, they love the background uh, chatter of a pub. Um, we but felt they also that it was actually getting a bit loud. Yeah, don't like yeah. too much background chatter. Yeah, so. so it's walking that fine line, and we are a long way. We're eleven floors above the um, the street, so we're not getting a lot of you know road noise, which is good. Incidentally, I realised why this bar was called Eleven. From floor eleven. Yeah, I realised that just then. You're one of the bright ones, Kane. You're one of the bright ones. Well, I knew it was a rooftop bar, so I hit the top number. Yeah, anyway, okay. um, what I was going to say was, with uh, no pun intended, being the um, game master of the Dissolution game, well, we were just talking about him and his tournament of time, I have to say that I uh, literally about half an hour ago, maybe an hour ago, got um, eliminated from the Dissolution game. Oh, you did? I did. Uh, yeah, okay, yep. Um, Who I, eliminated you? Uh, pretty much everyone. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> <laughs> We're sick of this guy talking about us, so we'll eliminate him. No, 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 no. But they all said, oh, we've been listening to it, blah, 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 blah. So um, I must say, credit where credit's due. They've played very, very well, and they've, they've done me good. Um, I thought I'd been building a... Um, as, as, as I'd mentioned before, I'd been working previously with um, Ethiopia before he stabbed me, and then also with Saudi Arabia until he stabbed me. And... Um, then I moved on to Yugoslavia and Poland, who I've been working with quite nicely until they stabbed me just now. And um, and then I'd also kind of made a, a, a reprochment with um, Kazaria, uh, who, or no, not Kazaria, Kazakhstan, who I'd been not doing very well with for a long period of time, but I thought I'd kissed and made up, and then he stabbed me. So... <laughs> um, okay. So, all in all, it was you, a good you, game. You played the real Renly Baratheon in that. Well, no. No, 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 no. no. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to the Renly thing in a moment, um, which is quite, quite appropriate. So, overall, it was a good game. I enjoyed it. As I said before, it took me a long while to get my head around disillusion. Yes. But, um, and, you know. But, you know, you being the, um, the, 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 the newbie. The newbie, and you, you figured out the rules now. You can uh, point me in the right direction when it comes to the uh, tournament. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Maybe you can give some, some advice, or maybe you can take the disillusion challenge, and I'll take another challenge. Yeah, we'll see how we go. I'm kind of a, quite like the 1812 overture one, so maybe I can be your mentor in disillusion as a teammate if we're on the same team. If we're on the same team. Anyway, we'll yeah. see how that one pans off. But more in the Renly Baratheon, you know, couldn't be bothered ruling mode. Um, the other play dip game that I've been involved in, which is the online diplomacy championship. Oh, how's that going? Uh, that's going just as bad. <laughs> uh, apparently, I enemarred, and according to the rules, I was then disqualified and kicked out of the, of the tournament. Oh, no! Kicked out! 
Oh, well, this was a, that's, that's this embarrassing. May, this may have been the second time when NMA <laughs> totally couldn't be bothered ruling. Oh, jeez. Okay. How did that come about? Um, honestly, seriously, I don't know. Um, we actually the, the the because of the way things work, it's all anonymous, and I don't know where the fuck that game is anymore. I should probably could go in and see it anyway. But anyway, um, what basically happened was we created a stalemate line. So we started off, obviously this is played on a standard map. Yes. And uh, it was a horrendously, um, uh, I'm sorry, it was like horrendously, it was this massive knife fight amongst everybody and it was really, really hardcore going on. And um, I got stabbed God knows how many times. I did some stabbing God knows how many times. And then eventually it became clear that after the elimination of one player, there was very much a, a strong three-way alliance happening, and that the other, myself and two other players, had to stop our petty bitch-slapping efforts and okay. actually work together. Yep. And we did very, very well to uh, create an excellent stalemate line. Literally, locked it Impervious. all down. Impervious, locked it down. And then you just decided you couldn't be bothered ruling. Well, no, <laughs> sorry, I'll bring it back. <laughs> I feel like obviously that was if if you were the, the the script writer within Game of Thrones, yeah, you'd kind of make me out to be you know lying in bed with Loras or whatever like that. Couldn't be bothered getting out to bother hearing what's going on. <laughs> but uh, and and we'll get to this obviously more this, soon this, this, with, this with the, the interview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think what had happened was I pretty much was regularly getting into just putting in my orders you know day after day after day and they were the same orders because we'd try to lock down this front we'd lock down the front and we were trying to effectively get one of the other three to stab each other to break it you know what I mean and um, obviously I thought I'd honestly I I realistically thought I'd actually save my orders I thought I'd put them in yep but clearly I didn't because the system doesn't lie yeah well and you know I guess I've got to cop that one on the chin. Yeah, you do. You have to take that. And obviously, if, I, if, um, if I'm going to be that bad with that, I'm not. I'm not good enough to be the online diplomacy champion of the world. <laughs> there you have it, folks. <laughs> Couldn't be bothered ruling. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we uh, got up. Well, I got up quite early, quite hungover on a <laughs> on this most recent Sunday morning. Um, because, well, we organised to have an interview with uh, someone who's probably well-renowned for quite... Um, Renowned or...? Uh, infamous. Infamous, yes. Infamous for his um, peculiar use of, shall we say, chainsaw diplomacy, um, but has contributed a tremendous amount to the hobby since he's since I've known him on VDIP. Yep. Um, he's um, quite articulate in the forums mm-hmm. and... Um, or a man of uh, strong views, put it, put it. Man of conviction. Conviction, yeah. Um, and we initially got him on just to talk about his, well, now a few years old post in regards to um, diplomacy characters. Diplomacy characters in the or game. Players of, as characters. As, yeah, yeah. Diplomacy players as characters in the Game of Thrones. Um, however, we ended up, well, talking shop diplomacy yeah, for as a, you do. quite a bit, as you do uh, when you talk to other <laughs> enthusiasts. Um, and and uh, look, I, I, I got a lot out of this interview. Um, I really enjoyed hearing 
um, Roughhouse's view on his, well, sorry, I should say, and it is Roughhouse 8 who, are we, who we interviewed. Yes. Um, I got a lot out of it, so we'll, we'll, shall we share that now? I think we should. And um, we'll uh, catch you guys at the end of this, uh, at the end of the interview. Fab. Enjoy. Enjoy. Um, welcome again to a, another interview on Diplomacy Games. Um, today we're joined by Roughhouse, who's a renowned player on V-Diplomacy. Uh, renowned for lots of good reasons, both for his excellent gameplay and um, I suppose he has a very unique messaging style at times when it comes to interacting with, with some players. Um, Roughhouse, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I, I'm I'm laughing at your introduction. That's that's great. I'm glad I could be so unique for you. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if you kind of uh, picked up. There was uh, oh, a number of episodes back, probably about ten episodes back. Uh, Kana and I were having a bit of a conversation at the time around, um, uh, I suppose, players that occasionally get under our goat. And I think I'd referred back to yourself many, many years ago where you must have done something to totally piss me off and I kind of banned you from me being in any games with you. Uh, and I think that lasted about a year or so. And then for one reason or another, I thought, oh, this is just petty and took it off. And ever since then, you've been a, uh, a gentleman. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Amby, I try to uh, treat everyone as they treat me. So (laughs) I'm sure that whatever caused uh, you to ban me for a year was well-deserved on your part, right? (laughs) I don't know. I think I I banned you and one other guy, and I I couldn't. You know, it's funny that you mention this because, uh, you know, I'm aware of the fact that uh, that I'm a little brisk or, or gruff with people but uh you know diplomacy is a it's a passionate game and uh as you might have guessed it's one that i like a lot and um you know you passions run high and and you know nobody likes getting stabbed or lied to uh and you know i I admit it's not something that that i uh deal with (laughs) you know I, i don't I don't deal with it as well as some folks, but I don't know that anybody really deals with it well. So we get into arguments and we, we say things back and forth, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a game and I'm here to have fun with it. I mean, some people have speculated that perhaps I, I get nasty and say things with people as a tactic. Uh, that's not really, that's not really the case. If I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, barking at you, uh, you've generally pissed me off or something, but, uh, you know, I don't really hold a grudge anybody so uh you know it's always maintained within the game or the discussion that we're having and, you know I, I, there's a lot of people that i've run across in this hobby that i've never had a crossword with so uh you know I, I i don't really know how to explain that away but uh, i'm glad that you and i can be friends now andy i have to say the games which i've played with you rough house i've really enjoyed your play style it's been a um it's one that is it's quite assertive, um, at, but at the same time has um, has the ability to change and allow for uh, different opinions to be sort of expressed in there. I've, I've actually really have valued your um, well valued you being like an experienced player on the board, um, and you're obviously experienced. How did you start playing diplomacy? You know, I started playing uh, when I was a kid. Uh, was just over at a friend's house, uh, goofing around afternoon with nothing to do, and I got dragged into a friend of a friend's house. 
and I guess it was raining or something. And so they pulled this game out and we started playing it. And I'd always been a big fan of Risk. And so, you know, some people that were playing thought that this would be a great game. And I really didn't know the rules. So I was watching these guys go at one another and they were having great fun just stabbing each other blindly left and right. And I looked at it and I thought, well, this is a lot of fun. These guys are talking all kinds of trash about how I'm the new guy and they're going to just leave me alone. And, uh, you know, I just waited for them to all get angry at each other. And, you know, then I rolled the board up on them. So <laughs> they were all looking at me at the end of the day. And you know how a face-to-face diplomacy game goes. I mean, it, it's the best way to kill a friendship. So, you know, we walked out of the house and this guy's like, never bring that kid over again. So, uh, you know, I used to bring it. I brought it to college with me. I brought it on uh, scouting, camping trips, and, you know, uh, was always looking for opportunities to play it. But, uh, you know, if you guys have ever tried to play the game before, it's really hard to get people that'll play a board game in the first place. And then you've got to get seven to play and you've got to get seven that will sit down at a table for six to eight hours to even, you know, get part of a game. In. So, uh, you know, I really hadn't played a whole lot uh, until I found, uh, you know, the, the advent of the Internet. I found a group of people playing it online in a community called Cat23. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but, you know, you basically played with someone who volunteered to be a a referee and he would collect the orders by email and do a a hand adjudication and create a map and then email it all back out. And that's where I really started to fall in love with the game. I mean, I knew how to play it, but I didn't have any idea of, you know, standard openings or strategies or, or any of that. It was all very, you know, pure. And I was usually playing with people that, that had only played the game once or twice before. So it was great to find an online community and realize that there were people that actually went to tournaments for this all around the world and were, were pros and were writing articles on the game and so forth. It, it was really fascinating to, to play the game against people like this. That's kind of how I got into it. How did you guys, I mean, where did you guys find the game? I, you know, like I said, it was just at a friend's house for me. Um, um, for me, it was at university um, when I was invited by um, some friends slash acquaintances to a particular game. It actually wasn't played on the, the standard classic board. I think from memory, it was um, whatever was the official Avalon Hill version that came out that was like a Renaissance variant. So similar to Renishmiento or Renascimento. Um, I can't remember what it was. I think it's actually called Machiavelli. Um, that's what kind of got me into it and uh, played that a few times and quite liked the whole element of um, stabbing and uh, didn't like, of course, the element of being stabbed, but that kind of builds character. Um, and then, you know, life got busy and I only got back into it myself um, probably about 10 years ago. And again, it was internet related. So all of a sudden just find my way there and have, have been there ever since. Um, Kana, do you want to answer that from your perspective? Um, yeah, my, my father um, was introduced to it when he was in the Navy, and um, he introduced it to myself and my brother um, and a couple of cousins. And then from there, I just sort of it kind of carried with me. I organised a couple of games in college um, in Bendigo, and then... I had a bit of travel and had to lay it down because it's quite difficult getting groups of people together. And then, um, yeah, I found it on the internet. I joined up with an email um, server similar to Cat23 
I, I think, um, called Diplomacy 2000. Anyway, so similar to Cat23, I, I guess, and um, that it was an email server and someone volunteered to collate the orders and, you know, we had a week to a week turnaround, one week to two week turnaround per turn. Um, but you had to send in your, uh, your retreats with your orders. Yeah, I remember that was a bit odd about it. And then took a break and then discovered web diplomacy and moved across to V diplomacy. Back when it was Ollie did. I, I, I thought I'd just jump in and ask Rothhouse um, how he made the move from um, playing um, uh, the, 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 the vanilla board to uh, the classic into playing variants. How did that transition occur? Well, it mainly occurred uh, through the the online vehicle of playing. You know, when I when I joined, uh, I joined the Cat Twenty Three site, and and I don't really know what Cat Twenty Three meant, but I, I guess it was just a collection of uh, forums or some somewhat, and people were playing diplomacy in them. But within that was sort of a you know it would send out emails or messages, and people would advertise games that they were playing, and. In those advertisements, they would offer variants. So the variants were, there were actually, you know, dozens of variants out there. This was, I guess, early 90s when I, when I started playing. And so if you go to, uh, you guys are familiar with the Dip Pouch. You've heard of that before, perhaps. Yes. There's a website. If you, you know, if you Google it, you'll find it, Dip Pouch. And uh, it used to contain a lot of these articles that people would write on the game, and they had a variant page there. When, and unfortunately now, a lot of them contain dead links to the rules and maps, so it's not as useful as it used to be. But I started, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of very well-developed uh, variants that were available on that page. For example, one that we've been playing recently here in a tournament, the Sengoku variant, was was developed and, and posted on there. So... Uh, you know, the, the standard game is always the pure one that you're attracted to, but I found that the variants were were, were actually uh, pretty fascinating. And I had seen a world map at a, at a uh, like a gaming tournament, like at a, you know, a role-playing game tournament. Somebody actually brought some board games and they had created, you know, a map. It was, it was a, a tabletop map, but it was a, on a global scale, but there weren't enough people interested, so they didn't play a diplomacy game. So when I started to see variants uh, in it, I really sort of stuck to them and, and enjoyed playing them uh, so long ago. Even before I found VDIP, uh, I would say that mo most of what I like to play is is the variants on different maps with slightly different rules. And I think that the the basic setup of the game of diplomacy really lends itself to to tacking on rules, just bolting on new new concepts and stuff that all fit within the movement mechanics of the game so it's been but you know one thing i will say is is that the more complex you make a variant uh the harder it is to play and one of the beautiful things about diplomacy is it has very simple rules and so uh you know it they seem complex to the first timer but when you when you actually read through the rules they're they're fairly simple and so the more complex variants get uh, the more difficult they were. Uh, can't, uh, Amber, you mentioned the the uh, the Renaissance variant. I won't even try to uh, to pronounce it in Italian because I know Decima Legion will will jump our ship for <laughs> mispronouncing stuff. But uh, I mean that one. I I used to. It was kind of a spinoff of the Machiavelli game you mentioned. But they used to have something called Dip Royale, which had 
all kinds of uh, special rules about marriages and and binding alliances and special pieces. And there was a there was a pope in that game and so forth. And that was really fascinating. But I found that you couldn't get the the regular player just couldn't cope with that many different rules. And so, you know, when you when you stray into variants, it does get a little tricky because you have to find people that one aren't purists and still love the game and are willing to do it and then find people that are capable of understanding the rules so uh when i when i finally did find uh v diplomacy i guess it was about five or six years ago it was it was kind of kind of a neat place because of the automated adjudication system i'd always been playing by by email games where you had a, a real referee but this allowed, you know, those were basically weekly turns. And so if you think about the games that, that all of us play right now, you know, the, the average turn is what, about two days, would you guys say? And, you know, you th- and, and so you think about waiting a week to see the moves because you're playing it by email. It definitely had a different pace to it. But uh, that allowed for plenty of time to do your negotiations because you would email players and, but you really had to stay, I mean, in order to do that, you had to be reading email all week because you never knew when a message was coming in. So it, you were you were almost as committed to games as you are now because you just didn't want to step away from them. If you stepped away and went away for the weekend, even playing in an email game, you could fall behind because you weren't corresponding. So I actually found that these shorter turns worked pretty well. So on variants front, then, um, do you have any particular favorites? I think the one that I uh, like the best right now, uh, there's a couple that I like the best. Uh, the Imperial 2 is probably my favorite. Uh, Oliver was able to uh, get the, uh, get the um, what is it, the adjudication software off of the, uh, off of a, a file that I emailed him and he uploaded it into a, a VDIP uh, file and, and we've been playing. It's probably an imperfect, it's a little bit imbalanced. Are you guys familiar with it? It's uh, 13 players. Yeah, and you know, like UK or Britain starts with, you know, 10 units and France starts with nine and Holland starts with eight. And then there's some nations that start with three. And so it's an imbalanced start, but I really like it because I think that. Uh, those nations that start with 10 and 9 aren't necessarily advantaged. Uh, it really depends how the game plays out. So I think the reason I'm attached to it is it's just a nostalgic thing. It was the first uh, variant that I saw on a world map. And so it, it was very interesting. And it was one of the first ones that sort of started to explore the build anywhere concept. I mean, that, that might not really ring true to... Uh, to folks playing the variants here because that's a very common thing. But 20 years ago, uh, build anywhere wasn't, wasn't all that popular. So, uh, and, and that was real that explored it. It really has the Imperial variant has specific centers that are, they're denoted by a square rather than a circle. And those centers are ones that you can build in. Uh, and so if you capture an opponent's build site, it's a place where you can build your own units. And so that really, uh, took into account strategics and tactics of, hey, if I capture my opponents, if I capture Ambi's uh, home supply center in Berlin, I can build fleets there. 
whereas before I couldn't really build fleets on the, on the Baltic Sea. So it was it was a fascinating game, and I still enjoy playing it now. I, I guess the way many players play the game, it, they pretty much play to the advantage. So uh, Holland and England in that variant are very successful. But uh, I recently just won a game playing that. It was Gunboat, so I, I don't know if you can even claim a, a game uh, as a gunboat game is a win, but, uh, oh, I, but you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to take it anyways. Uh, actually I, I'm not because it, the victory conditions are set to 70, which is less than half. And that just kind of feels like a cheat win. But, uh, I, I did very well playing Austria, which is a nation that nobody wants to play on that map because it starts in the middle of everybody without many positions. But that was actually very fun to play. Uh, and, there's, I'll mention another one that we have on, on VDIP, and it's, it's actually Kaner's uh, exploration with the World War IV. I, I really enjoy the Sea Lanes variant. I think that, uh, that he put in a lot of work developing the map and the concept of the uh, ocean spaces with you know, a centralized space and then either th- three or four uh, circling spaces within that creates a very interesting dynamic that that opens up the world war four map and uh the reason i think that was necessary was because our buddy tommy haha designed that map to be played for about nine to ten years and then you had a vote and it was you know you vote the three best players in as a winner so it was really never designed to be played for global conquest like like we all sort of understand diplomacy for it was meant to be played about 10 years and and then it was over. So what Tom didn't really realize is, is that the way he had the map drawn up was that the the centers uh, within the continents, there's so many supply centers on each continent that and so few sea spaces that uh, basically you can insulate yourself on a continent and it, it, you can't be ca- captured. So you, you get uh, 19, 15, 19 years into a game, and it's very boring and dull because you can't advance across the map. And so what, what Kaner's map did was it really made it much more difficult to set up those stalemate lines around the continents because you could cross oceans. Uh, and, and we had a couple of those games, and they were really very ferocious battles in the end game. Uh, and it worked both ways. It was an o- offensive advantage, but it was also a defensive nightmare. So you you had people really conducting diplomacy late into the game. Uh, whereas, you know, usually we, we form our alliances like I'm allied to you, uh, uh, Gamby, in, in the Borse game. And, and you probably don't believe me, but, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to throw away an, an alliance after playing in an entire game. That's just not my style. And uh, you know, but when you play the Sea Lanes game, you really have to be wary of things late in the game, and you have to maintain those alliances. You can't just count on them being there, and that your buddy isn't going to stab you because you've been buddies all game. You have to look at this and say, and and you don't have the stalemate line up there to protect it because if one unit slips through, it can wreak havoc on the thing. So I, I really enjoyed that. It's not very popular amongst the community. Uh, because I think a lot of people just are intimidated by all the sea spaces and don't really understand why they're there. But I, I'd like to see us get another one of those going. And oh, then there's definitely. a. Yeah. It, it would be great to get another one of those once up. Yeah. I mean, the, the site's only hosted three so far. I think we could do a lot better than that. 
we should have got our act together a little bit better on the um, the, the new game that's starting up, Furnace of uh, Affliction. Maybe maybe in retrospect that should have started off as a, a sea lanes game. Yeah, it took like three months to get that full though, so you know I, I wonder <laughs> wonder where we're at with that. But uh, you know maybe we have the opportunity to do it, uh, or maybe get a couple years into that one and, and see if we can get a sea lanes game going. The other one I'd really like to see us bring here and. You know, I, I would do something about it, except I'm completely clueless when it comes to uh, coding and technology and so forth. I'm, I'm kind of old school. I, di- I came from the, the face-to-face and then the play-by-email. That's as, that's as deep into technology as, as this guy goes. So, you know, I really don't understand anything about coding and stuff. But there's a variant called Versailles which is played on, I think it's the 1600 map, if you guys are familiar with that. And there, there's... I think there's eight or nine major powers. I think it's nine. And then and then each major power is assigned a minor power. So you like it's in it's set in Europe and so you have your three or your four depending on what starting nation you get. And then scattered across the 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 map are these one supply center powers like Albania or Portugal or Belgium or and those are kept secret from the rest of, uh, you know, you have your major power and everyone knows that and can communicate to the major power, but then your minor power is secret. And so nobody knows uh, who, if you're, if you've been assigned Portugal is your minor power, it's random. So you might be Russia and Portugal and that might do you absolutely no good because, you know, how can you hold on to Portugal as Russia? You can never do that. So it forces you to, to, uh, play and uh you know if you're russia and you have portugal then you you reach out to either france or england or something and say hey my minor power is portugal and he is left to believe you or not believe you and so it creates a very interesting dynamic in that you decide when and where you'll announce what your minor power is and then what you do is you run into alliances where you're you're allied with one nation i'm russia allied with germany but I end up killing Germany's minor power because he's doing something with it to survive. And I really didn't know what it was his minor power or not. So it creates a a very fascinating thing because the people keep the identity of the minor powers in secret. And so I'm sure that would be a a coding nightmare, Kaner. But uh, if we could ever figure out how to do that one, I think that would be something that, that would quickly become as popular as say the known world map is these days. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. Um, we had an interview with, no pun intended, uh, a little while ago, and he is looking into a similar function in the coding, um, but with for a, a couple of different variants. I think it was 1900 and... Um, uh, what was the other one there, Andy? Versailles. Um, Versailles. Yeah. No, was it Versailles? No, no, it was uh, 1900 and um, Age of... Oh, sorry, Age of Empires or Age of... Ambi- no, Age, Age of Ambition. Uh, yeah, with uh, Baron Powell. Um, oh, but he's... Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's looking into doing a lot of that um, sort of heavy code lift, code lift of getting these variants... Um, up and running so fingers crossed it'd be i mean I'm, there's no time frame i can really give you rough but it'd be 
it's on the horizon as a as a potential to come in to the side. I guess the one thing about um, Versailles, though, is the fact that it already exists over at Play Diplomacy. So it already exists within a PHP environment. It's just a case of being able to um, port that across to, you know, another place potentially. But I'm, I'm obviously I'm aware that Play Diplomacy works on a slightly different um, business model, if I call it that, compared to WebDip and VDip. So I'm not quite sure what their thoughts are on um, sharing of variants between the different sites. Do they have Versailles at Playdip? Yeah. I thought they did. Pretty sure they did. I thought we talked to um, um, Superdipsy about it, didn't we? What's that Versailles? I thought it was a different... Ah, doesn't, doesn't. So so the site that I uh, played with, played at predominantly before coming to Vdip several years ago was Redscape, which I've tried to share with a few of you guys. And it's pretty much dormant now. And it was very much a, it was a, a forum based, uh, you know, it was a, what, what other, a message board forum based thing where you would post the maps and the results in the forums and then it was played by email. Uh, and, but at some point, uh, the, the original owner of Redscape instituted the, the WebDip code into it. And so you could play the automated version. And that very quickly became I mentioned this to you guys just in case you didn't know. Uh, it became very popular, and all of the email-based games, the, the the games that we had been used to playing for years, basically just dried up because everybody wanted to play the automated games on the WebDip code. And so we were playing that for a while, and some of the variants had made their way to it, mostly like modern and uh, maybe Colonial was there, but there were very few. There were four or five available on Redscape. But then the original owner of Redscape decided that he didn't want to maintain the server anymore. And so he turned it over uh, to a couple of guys who, who run it now. Uh, but but those guys, uh, they didn't seem to be either as interested in keeping it going or as capable as the original guy did. And And the original guy that ran it was very much like Oliver, where... He stayed in the backgrounds and he just kind of watched and, and didn't really play unless he did it unless he hid as in like an alias very well you know they just sort of lurk in the background and don't play but uh, yeah, it was disappointing to see that fade from there but then again if it hadn't faded I wouldn't have come to uh, to VDIP and you guys wouldn't be tortured with me. <laughs> Um, I was just going to ask, uh, obviously at the moment, Ruff, you're involved in the uh, the boss game that you know, I'm involved in and that Kano is also adjudicating, and we're starting to slowly grind our way towards what might be the end game. Um, do you have any thoughts on how that's progressing and where things are likely to go without giving away any of your gameplay? Well, uh, I mean, it, I think you're right in that we probably are coming up to an end because uh, the two African powers, uh, Wagadu and Axum, are probably going to uh, be eliminated this year. And so that leaves the board with uh, roughly five of us left and we're all sort of in an interwoven thread of alliances that, unless I'm misreading it, I don't think is going to shatter. Uh, there, there's a couple of there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of wild cards in there, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, Ambie. But uh, um, you know, with uh, you can't handle the truth 
you know, moving his pieces pretty close to you. But uh, you know, I really don't see that coming down to a war. I, I guess it could, and it, and it would be very interesting if it does. But I suspect what will happen is now with with uh, Captain Memes China uh, removed from the game, uh, he's still competing. But uh, you know, the observation I'll make is is that. Once these powers are removed, they don't get a vote in when the game ends. And so I suspect what will happen is we will agree amongst the five of us when to end the game to our benefit. And, uh, you know, everyone will, because this is a special rules game, which isn't scored by supply centers and is scored by the Borst points, I suspect that we'll probably engineer it to uh, the survivor's benefit. Uh, I'm not sure how you see it going, but that's... That's kind of where I think we're going to end up, and uh, you know, if you if you want the truth, I actually think Bozo kind of has the upper hand on all of us here. So even though even though I have the most supply centers, and he's been very passive in the bourse for most of the game, I think he's quietly uh, done what Bozo does and put himself in a position where, uh, absent a fight of some kind, I think he's going to win. So and 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 to be honest, I feel like a wimp for saying this. But uh, I, I don't really think that I don't really think that I'm going to attack him to change that. So uh, and maybe I just gave away too much. But you know, we've been playing this game for a year now, haven't we? We're on uh, game year thirty-one, and and it seems like a year. And and to be honest, most of the game is played out, and it's been kind of fun. I I think the and Kaner, I really I, I every time we talk about this game, I can't thank you enough for all the work you do on this i mean we couldn't have this game without you doing it and it's got to be i don't know if it's fun to sit and watch and not play but i hope it is because it's oh, it's, 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 it's absolutely fascinating and i, I do enjoy um, hosting it <laughs> i would say that i think that we probably uh did ourselves a disservice by making this an unrated game because i have noted both in myself and other players the kind of the absence of the the really ruthless part of the diplomacy board because there's no points or there's no ratings involved. There's, there's really no credit because it's a special rules game for the, for the Borscht points so that the number of supply centers really doesn't mean anything other than your ability to enforce Borscht outcomes. So I, I think if we play Borscht again, we should definitely have it be a rated game so that you... You really, because the first time we played it, I mean, maybe you guys had played it before, but I played it once before on this known world map with you guys as a late edition, and I found it to be completely fascinating in that, you know, Ambie and I were were going at each other, uh, I think it's France and Denmark or something like that, and it, it was it was really frustrating and probably nasty at some point, and yet somehow in the middle of that, we managed to start working together on the Bourse and then turned that into a truce on the board. Uh, but I, I think that I think that having that sort of uh, dual competition, where you have a board competition and a Borst competition, really makes that variant much more interesting. I, I'm still having a blast with, with this one, but I, I think that if we do it again, we should definitely make it rated. I would tend to agree with you. Um, and not just because of the change to the rating system at the moment that's occurred within VDIP. But um, I, I think you're 100% correct. By having an unrated game, it tends to lead, lend itself more to um, players uh, not being quite as um, 
uh, aggressive uh, as they could be within their gameplay and also a little bit more lax when it comes to NMRing and all those type of bits and pieces. Uh, incidentally, whilst we've been talking, the turn has just kind of flipped over uh, for spring and um, you can't handle the truth. He's just held his positions. He hasn't moved anywhere. So there you go. He's, um, he's holding up to his word. He sent me a, 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 a message and said that he was going to stay where he presently is, and, and he has. So I was kind of hoping that, uh, that uh, in the middle of our talk here that, that the turn would come and that he would do something crazy and, and you'd be furious and it would, it would, light, <laughs> it would lighten our energy. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, you'd be, so uh, one thing uh, that I, I really, I confess, I haven't, Captain Meme has suggested an alternate scoring policy and it's very intricate and detailed and, and I confess I, I really don't understand what he's trying to accomplish with it, but I think what he's trying to do is sort of limit this ability to use the, uh, you know, we, we've used our vassal states, n namely, uh, you know, you, Amber, you were one of them. And then I think uh, you can't handle the truth has been a vassal state. And, and basically, the, we've made big runs on those currencies. And I think that he's attempting to limit that in some form. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of like that ability. I kind of like the fact that you can, you know, that you can take a, that you can play games with people's currencies. But maybe he's got a point. Maybe we, maybe it's worth looking into. I, I, honestly, I don't even understand the scoring uh, well enough to, to be. I, I'm lucky to be doing as well in the bourse as I am because I have no comprehension of, of how the victory points are calculated other than. It's based on the number of supply centers you have and the value of the currency, but I, I really don't even know the formulas and so forth. So um, yeah, so every one hundred units of a currency that you own um, gives you um, one victory point per okay. supply center that that country has. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so, so that's basically the formula there in a nutshell. What Captain Meme's um, idea is um, based around is that well, why not give uh, a percentage of the victory points to um, ownership of supply centres to the individual. So, you know, you, you, it says, okay, let's say 75% um, of the victory points come from the bourse, but 25% of those victory points ah. come from supply centres you own on the board. Yeah. Well, I think that that uh, definitely I see his model because we're we're missing that. It sort of touches on what I was saying. We're definitely missing that element because uh, it isn't a rated game. But there might be some value in adding some some of that. And it might it might bring back some of the more uh, aggressive play or the more uh, dastardly deeds out there to be done because, you know, Right now, I, I I mean, and I know that what he's suggesting would really work in my in, in my advantage in the game we're in. If we were using his scoring system, it really would have worked to my advantage. And as it is now, you know, I've got a uh, a vassal state in uh, Kazaria. You can't handle the truth. Nation is is somebody that I went back and forth in alliance with, and then uh, offered this proposal. Like if he if he worked for me. That I would leave him alive, and that I would uh, I would boost him up at some point in the game. And so he he's he's come from the brink of elimination to sort of being one of the five that's going to survive this game. And and then I invested heavily in his currency, and so I've now put myself in a position where 
I'm kind of obligated. He he has more leverage on me than okay. I have on him. Uh, you know, he owns about nine or ten centers, and I have I don't know I I don't have it up in front of me, but I have thirty some, and uh, you know I I've got a few around him, but he I, I'm really kind of obligated to do whatever the heck he wants. And uh, as Amby has noted, he's he's acting a little cagey on Amby's border, and so. I keep getting the question like, hey, what is your vassal doing on my border? And I'm looking at him like, well, I, I don't know what he's doing and I can't do anything about it because I can't, ki- you know, if he gets out of line, I can't, I can't kill him. So uh, it's, I, I've gotten, I've been a little bit too clever for myself here in this game, but uh, having a good time the whole way through it. Well, as, as a vassal state, I would, I would tend to agree because I think if you remember uh, Rough House, I was down to probably only around about half a dozen supply centres as both you and Bozo were just ripping the hell out of me. Um, and effectively, I think at the time I kind of, I can't actually remember what happened, but whether, oh, I know what it was. I think it was because both Wagadoo and, and um, Axum were being such strong players, I think there was benefit from your perspectives to um, bring me into the fold and lay off me so that we could concentrate on them so that they didn't actually take away um, and win the bourse uh, by having domination over the supply centres. I, I think you're I think you're partially right, although, I, I mean, I think you do me an injustice here, Amby, I, I, that you still have that little island up there in the Black Sea, uh, which, which I, I, I never took. Uh, I, I, I've left that the, the entire, I, I think the only thing I did was take a, a center that we had agreed we would leave between us. Uh, and you probably needed it more than I did, but I took it. Uh, I felt I needed it and I took it, but I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I was instrumental in convincing, uh, Germany to, uh, to use you as a vassal. So uh, I, I was glad that he went on. He did not want to do it, uh, but I think I I think over it took uh, I would say easily uh, six to ten game years to convince him to uh, to do that. So uh, I think it worked out well for all three of us, though. So that that's been something fascinating, and I think the only reason that really happened, Ambi, is because of the Bourse. You know, because we had that added element of the game where. And, and I, that's why I love Bors so much is because uh, it really uh, allows you to look beyond the thought of, okay, well, let me just squash this power who, who once was strong and now he's fairly weak. But when you give a player motivation to join your side and to play along with you, uh, it really creates some interesting play back and forth. And you know, when when you have your foot on a player's throat and lift it up, you always have to wonder whether he's going to come back and haunt you. So it definitely throws that back into it. Although in this game, I will say that Bozo has been, as Germany, has been extremely uh, careful to make sure that you uh, never come back and haunt him. So uh, not sure how you're feeling under the under the iron fist of, of the German Bozo Kaiser, but uh, that's what it looks like from my side. Oh, I think that that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, for 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 the next um, boss game that's run, um, do you have a preference in variant? Well, I, I definitely like the way it works on this uh, known world nine hundred one map. Uh, but if if we're looking to try it, something else, uh, are we looking to try it to add more players to it, or just to add a different map, or do we want to have fewer players? 
I, I, I remember, Kane, are you talking about trying to run it on a, a World War Four map, which I would think. be that that would be I mean, I, that would be fantastic. I, I don't I, know how anybody would manage the uh, the mechanics of, of collecting all the Bors orders, but uh, that would be I, 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 would, I, mean, I, I would run it. You just need to go out and enough players to play it. Right. I think what we'd have would we'd have about twenty players that that bothered to play the bourse, and the rest of them would just ignore it. Kind of like we had in this game, where uh, Known World is what a fifteen-player map, and I think about ten of us were are, are playing. I, I think about five of the players just kind of joined it because it was a game, and never really bothered to even look at the rules or understand what was going on. So uh, I, I think if we played it on a on a global map. With 34, 35 players, I think we'd have uh, kind of the same thing. I think we'd have about 60% of the players playing, and the rest would just sort of be along for the ride. But uh, it might that might still make it fun because, uh, you know, one of the great things about Bors is, is that even if you go dormant for four or five years and you're eliminated from the game, assuming you still own currency, you can get back into the game and play. So... Uh, that would be something that would be very interesting. And it definitely uh, keeps added, you know, the, the big benefit to this is not even in the game, as I see it, is not even in the individual games. It teaches us the value of continued diplomacy beyond just, hey, I tricked you and stole all your supply centers and now you're, you know, you're doomed or you're all, all but out of the game. There, there's a value in these nations. And I, I think that if you play the game from that perspective, even without Bors to give you a motivation, you'll you'll find the value in it. And I think it will teach players who are down to their last center to play for something a little bit more than pride. There's quite a bit of fun to be had in being a vassal state. And I think that Bors definitely brings that out. So I, I would hope that after four or five experiences with it that we start to see a little bit of that more play popping up. And I mean, one of the reasons I think you don't have that at VDIP is because we play for whether people admit it or not, there are points assigned to the game and people play for the points because the points are, you know, the points are, are there's a record, you know, there, there's a first through 50th place and uh, these things matter to, to us all. I mean, I, I admit it. I, I like, I like the points. I, I like to, I like to compete, compete there, but I mean, at the end of the game, I'd really rather just play the games and have fun. And the, the points should be just kind of a, you know, a metagame that just sort of sits out there and, and runs itself. I don't want to ever fall into a trap of I'm going to attack Ambi and Kaner because these two guys are right below me or right above me on the uh, on the points chart. I don't want my in-game decisions decided by something like that. And so, uh, you know, but I, I do think that we'll find more use for the vassals uh, with the advent of, of Bors because I, I think some pay, some players have really started to see how that can be valuable not only in the bourse, but on the board. So, yeah, Kaner, if you're up for uh, World War Four, maybe we can do our sea lanes game that way. Oh, now that. The other thing that I'd like to, to see, which we have kind of touched on, I think within, um, it must have been within the forum, is the idea of how the currencies work and the currency manipulation. And I can't remember who proposed it, but... I quite like the idea of there being like almost like a supply and demand within a normal marketplace. So you can't just artificially, you know, um, 
get two or three or four players just to kind of pump all of their money into one particular currency and and um, cause that currency to go through the roof. The only way you can do so is if the market is physically there to sell to you so that if all the players are playing... I think that was... That was, uh, I think that was You Can't Handle the Truth. I think, uh, I think he uh, sort of had a very, and again, it, w- it was a very good explanation or proposal, and, and I, was too, uh, uh, I was too clueless to be able to follow all of the details because I'm not, a, I'm not a stock market guy, and I got the sense that he was. But he was bringing concepts from that that, that sounded somewhat interesting. I, I think my only concern with that would be uh, how that translates to your average VDIP player. Can, can they really, and, and I mean, not, and I, I don't understand it, so I'm not trying to be elitist with it. I, I just wonder, uh, you know, maybe everybody else can understand it and they can explain it to me, but uh, I, I worry if we get into games where only five players really know what they're talking about because we really only have five players that that play the the real markets out there. So, Something that's more like that would be interesting. Maybe hell, maybe it'll teach us all how to make some money, uh, you know, by being diplomacy players. I think the secret would be to make sure it was simple and easy to understand, uh, because if it's if it becomes too complex, people are just going to zone out, uh, and that's going to cause the market not to work correctly. And one of the things, obviously, with the nature of a you know a free market, if, if you're playing a, a World War Four game and you've got 34 players or 35 or what happens to be the, the, the number, that's giving you a fair amount of market space where you can have some people deciding, okay, I think this currency is going to go down, so I'm going to sell it. Other people are going, I think it's going to go up, so I'm going to buy it. Um, and I don't think you'd be able to achieve that same type of um, market efficiency, if I can kind of call it that, if you're playing a game with only, say, five or six players because there's just such a, a limited marketplace, then it becomes difficult to, um, uh, for a market to operate correctly, I would have thought. So it's got to be nice and simple and easy so that people can kind of see merit in playing uh, and that they actually understand how to play the game. And then as a result of that, that causes that free market to work better and causing you know prices to fluctuate accordingly. World War Bourse. I, I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I suppose the other thing that we wanted to touch base with you on, uh, Rough House, was at, in our last episode, Kainer and I were discussing, um, I think he, I called him Ernst Weil, and that caused him to start going down a path of um, remembering what your description of him was within a, uh, a Game of Thrones-style world. And um, that got us talking, and I thought it would be interesting to get somebody who really kind of um, understands and appreciates the show and also the book series to give their perspective as a diplomacy player around uh, what's going on within the show slash books. And I probably want to give a bit of a, um, I suppose, a, a bit of a warning beforehand for anybody who hasn't um, watched the show or read uh, the books and you intend to, you may just want to totally fast forward through all this because uh, I do expect there's going to be uh, a number of spoilers as we discuss things. So... Um, I guess the th- what I wanted to just find out then from you, um, Ruff, is generally how do you see um, you know Game of Thrones from a diplomacy player's eyes? Well, you you guys, you guys remember the show Survivor and and how big a phenomenon that was when it first came out, and in in the diplomacy sh- uh, communities that I was playing in, it was extremely popular because people saw the parallels 
mostly from the alliance and the negotiation and the the skullduggery side of it. You know, you'd make these alliances with people and then you'd break them. And so people saw the connections between the two. And, uh, you know, as I became, you know, more into Game of Thrones via the, the show and the books and, you know, obviously the great game, as they call it, the Game of Thrones, when you, you either play or you win, it, you know, that struck me. There, you know the, uh, the parallels between it when Cersei tells Ned uh, when you play the Game of Thrones you either play or you either win or you die I, I thought well that that is diplomacy that you know because we've had this argument I, I'm the champion of the uh, the winner take all argument here at V Diplomacy and to me that's the pure form of the game that you know this points per s- supply center thing uh, just infuriates me because that that leads us to just play uh, play the game in a bastardized version, you know, to use mixed metaphors. Uh, you know, we uh, play only for the points. If you want to play diplomacy, there's only one winner. And so, you know, in, in that respect, uh, Cersei has it right because, you know, it, you either win or, or you're out. And so I really I really started to look at uh, the, the show and the books as a giant game of diplomacy. There's all these interwoven friendships and rivalries and alliances and they switch sides you know there's there's the boltons switching sides the phrase switching sides uh you know jamie lannister stabs his stabs his king there's all you know if you want to go with the backstab analogy analogy there's all kinds of of elements that you could draw parallels to in in uh in a diplomacy game or a community so uh, it struck me as something really interesting and i started thinking about all the different uh characters that that play games at our at our community vdip and uh i started uh you know i always keep like a dossier of of players so that when i come up against you guys i know a little something about you like i know your style i know i know that ambi i know ambi is gonna bullshit me left and right (laughs) and so uh you know i keep i keep a little it's not written down or anything uh it's just you know it's a I can. I still have. I still have enough brain cells left to sort of so keep that going. But I started, uh, you know, racking my brain and looking through the players. So I started making a list of players that I had played games with or I knew their style, and then I just started assigning them to a character from Game of Thrones, and uh, and that I did start writing down. And as I got a little further with it, I was just doing it for fun at first, but then I thought. Well, this would make a really lively post in the VDIP forums, but I'm probably going to make a lot of enemies if I do this. And then I thought, well, you know what? Uh, you know, half half these p- players hate me already. So, you know, what difference does it make if I offend somebody by calling them the wrong character? But, uh, you know, if when I first did it, I tried to just find something positive to say about everybody. So, that, you know, the initial list that I ran through generally had, uh, you know, somebody that I played against and, and I found something to admire about their play and to link it to, to the players. And the more, the more I sat down and played at it, the more I realized that some of these folks really, you know, they really are typecast into, into the, uh, you know, Kaner, I don't know that, that you could actually play Maester Lewin, uh, in, uh, and if you were if you were called in to do uh, you know if he gets resurrected or something I don't know if you could actually play him as an actor but I mean that was what I named you uh, and and my my description of you was faithful friend does more than he's appreciated for until he's not around anymore and uh, 
you know, that that was something that struck me, like you say, it's a spoiler alert. This is a guy who bites it in, in the series at some point. But, uh, you know, he, he's a trusted advisor. He, he's a guy that's always there to to be a friend. And, you know, that those are odd people to find in a diplomacy game. And sometimes that kind of play is criticized and it's not always, uh, you know, it's not a ruthless style. And so it doesn't lend itself to a lot of solos. But uh, it definitely compliment when it comes to diplomacy <laughs> in a in a way but uh you know it, it doesn't it isn't uh there there isn't you know the the reality is is most diplomacy players aren't near as ruthless as we should be if we're playing the pure form of the game so in, in a way uh it makes you a very attractive uh person to ally with because you're not somebody that's going to sell somebody you know a song and dance and, and then and plunge a knife in their back you know whereas ambi is is more of like i forget who i called him but you know he's more of a little finger type where he would just you know tell you anything you wanted to hear and then if the opportunity was right he might seize it but that's that's not that's not caner so oh, i think you actually described <laughs> and, me as, as the, the more i the more i uh you know played with this uh you know the more i started finding people that that really fit in to the these molds and so I, I i threw it out there and posted it up and it was g generally well liked by folks but you know a few people didn't like it because either didn't get a name or they didn't like who they got and didn't understand why i was saying it so uh, i mean i thought about going back and updating it but uh, i just i don't know if i will or not <laughs> maybe somebody else can pick it up i think from memory you described me as renly baratheon uh you know full of drive early on that couldn't be bothered with ruling. <laughs> and, and that's pretty close. <laughs> right. That's, that's pretty right. Close. Right. And you see, you, you had to be, obviously, you had to be really careful with some of these, some of these uh, assignments because, you know, if I, if I name you Renly, is somebody going to get bent because, you know, Renly's, uh, you know, in the books, Renly is rumored to be, uh, you know, in love with Loris. And in the in the show, of course, they're they're very graphic with that. But uh, you know, I figured that hey, you know, we're we're in a new millennium now, and and people can people can uh, pass on. I certainly wasn't trying to call you, uh, you know, as Cersei says, a pillow biter, a renowned pillow biter. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't trying to do anything like that. I, I didn't even want to get into that. I mean, I think all these characters are fantastic, and so. Like I said, uh, to call you Renly was was actually a compliment uh, for both of you. I, I, Maester Lewin and Renly were, were compliments, but uh, Renly to me as a character did seem like somebody who who was just he had to be talked into being the king. You know, if you remember back in the in the first book, the first season, Loras had to kind of like subtly talk him into taking it. He did. He didn't want anything to do with it. He could bear. He could barely be bothered with it. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know, that was my assessment of, of Ambi because at the beginning of, of games, you're very, you're very bold and you're very, uh, interested in it and you form webs of alliances and you're, you're very strong in your moves and so forth. And then as the game goes on a little bit, it seems that you get a little bit distracted and, and kind of wander off and say, oh, well, this one wasn't meant to be. And, uh, I think you could do much better if that didn't happen if you'll take some constructive criticism. no 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 you, you're spot on the money don't worry i totally agree with you 
<laughs> Throwing an NMR hero there, and it's even worse. That was how I saw Renly. You know, if you guys, uh, again, they, they have this meeting. Renly and uh, Stannis have this meeting. Uh, it's a parlay. And, you know, they ride out there, and Renly has decided he's going to usurp his older brother's claim on the throne. And he has, Renly has all the advantages, and instead of just taking Stannis prisoner right there at the parley or killing him right there, he, he decides, well, I'll, I'll kill you tomorrow. You know, I'm going to go back and drink in my tent tonight. And then, you know, he ends up, he ends up getting killed by Stannis's uh, blood magic or what have you. And, and the, you know, and, and that's where, that's where uh, I, you know, I, I saw, you know, mid game going. So. Uh, or did you have any, did you have any other questions about the, the characters or just, no, I mean, but don't, don't you, I, I think that the, uh, the series really lends itself to diplomacy. We, again, we have webs of alliances that we have with one another. We have old rivalries, uh, you know, and, and people, you know, they're, they're binding through marriages and stuff, yet people break them anyways. And it's all for the purpose of, for the most part, uh, people are, they have a motivation and some of those people are motivated to take the throne, which I would equate to, those are soloists. Uh, you know, if Daenerys is, is motivated to take the throne, the Iron Throne, uh, the Lannisters, they want the Iron Throne, Robert Baratheon, he wanted, and you know, all the Baratheons wanted the throne. But if you look at the Starks, they're like, look, uh, I, I don't, I don't really care about the throne i, I want to hang out up here in the north but if you if you insult my honor or you uh you know you hurt my friends then i'm going to come bear down on you and you have the the errands of the eerie who who basically want to sit out the war they they don't even want to mess with it even if people have wronged with them and then you have you know incompetent fools like uh like the phrase uh, or the uh, the gray joys who you know, they just. I, I love the Greyjoy thing. That's what I call. Uh, it's what I call. Uh, forgive my. Uh, forgive the profanity to follow here. Uh, it's what I call the the Olympic stab. When you when you basically, you know, you take you're you're a small power and you just put a tiny little attack on a nation like the Greyjoys did in <laughs> Balon's Rebellion, or whether they, you know, if you look further on in the story when. When they decide, hey, Rob Stark is fighting in the Riverlands. Let's go take Deepwood Mutt and Moat Kalen to to nothing centers that mean nothing to anybody. But he just wants to go take them because that's what they do. And it, it's like uh, I remember uh, Tyrion has a comment. To, do you guys remember in the series Tyrion has a comment to Theon, and they're trading insults back and forth, and Theon is bragging about how they burned the Lannister fleet, and then. Tyrion just says, how did that all work out for you when, you know, Robert and Ned Stark and the Lannisters stormed your keep and killed all your brothers and took you hostage? And Theon's just looking at him like, yeah, that didn't go very well, did it? And, you know, that's what the Greyjoys are. And there's players out there that are that way. You know, they're, they're just, they play the game, they're just in there, and they're really just there to be an adjutant. Uh, they, they're not trying to win, they're just trying to, you know, inflict a little damage here and have a little fun. And that's kind of what the the Greyjoys are. The the you know the the phrase they're they're like a different type of animal altogether. That that guy would be king if he could, but he doesn't realize that they're they're incompetent. And you know, there's a long 
there's a there's a line and, and again it, it's I'm bouncing all over the place in the seasons but Jamie says to Walter Frey at some point he says you know what good is it if I have to keep coming up here and taking this city every time you lose it he's like you know what good are you to me and he says this to Walter Frey and and Frey just looks at him like what you know what are you saying and and he finally sort of starts to realize that hey, we're a bunch of idiots and we can't get our stuff together and we're about to lose the only friends we have. And so, uh, there, you know, you run into situations where there's, there's players like this and whether they're new or whether they just really don't understand the game, uh, it's, it's kind of funny when you, when you look at players like that in, in the game and, and I think to myself, well, you know, I've got Walter Frey here next to me, so I, I have to watch out for him, but... Even if he does turn on me, he's really not that big of a deal because he'll probably screw it up. Um, when it comes to new players, I think there's two other characters uh, from very, very early on in, in the show which um, very much typify a, a new player to diplomacy, and that, of course, would be Eddard Stark and uh, Viserys Targaryen, um, Daenerys's brother. Um, and from my perspective, you tend to find your, your Eddard Stark people playing uh, come in with relatively rose-coloured glasses, kind of like the way I started when I originally came back into the game, uh, where you kind of think that, yes, you'll be able to kind of work with everybody and organise things and blah, 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 and everyone will kind of get on well. But, of course, you know, they're the first ones who get stabbed and and get removed from the game entirely. Uh, And, of course, uh, Viserys was, um, you know, very much in that that born-to-rule type of perspective, way too aggressive, but without any actual power base behind him. And as a result, uh, you know, trying to manipulate someone who was actually far stronger, who then came back and, you know, wiped effectively him off the game. So do you see any other um, archetypes, I guess, from a character point of view of new players? And how does that compare to, say, more seasoned players who know their shit within diplomacy, if you kind of, you know, looked at them from a Game of Thrones perspective? Well, there there are there are those type of players if you if you want to look at it and and sort of look at every now and then we see new players roll in and they are either new to diplomacy or new to our site, uh, but they are they are Rob Stark where they come on and they are perceived as as very young. He's just a boy. Even even Rob's father says Rob, he's just a boy. And Tywin Lannister looks at him and says, I'm you know. Tywin is a, you know, has 40 years of being a soldier behind him. And he says, I'm up against an 18 year old kid leading a bunch of barbarians. And so he underestimates him. And so I think that every now and then we will find that with a newcomer, a new diplomacy player who rolls in and, uh, you know, nobody really takes seriously until the guy's kicking your ass all over the board. And so, you know, you you definitely have to, uh, when you play, you have to, you really have to be able to gauge who those players are. And, and I think the way you do that is, is with press rather than with play. Because if you underestimate a player, uh, and, and sometimes it just takes a while to learn who they are. So there, there's definitely uh, that. Or there's someone that, say, has been away for a long time. If you look at, say, Dorn, you look at the Dornish who, you know, they don't even appear. You know, none of their characters really even appear until you know, four or five books into the series, the fifth season of the HBO series. And then suddenly you realize that, oh, these guys are really a threat. You know, these these guys aren't, you know, just the the afterthought of the Empire sitting down there. They've just been sitting it out waiting to jump in. 
so there's there's definitely that. I I like uh, the analogy you made with Ned Stark, uh, Ambi, because I had a friend who used to play this. You know, I introduced him to the game, and he used to play, and we would uh, occasionally play in games together. But you know, my friend, I couldn't play in games with him because he was so competitive, and so was I. But he would get personally hurt if we ended up fighting. So I ended up not playing games with him after a bit. But I, we used to talk on the phone about the games he was playing in, and he would get furious because people would lie to him. And uh, I, I thought, well, you know, my, my buddy's name was Tom, and he, he, would, he would just be absolutely furious, and he would destroy his game to get revenge on somebody who lied to him or stabbed him. And I thought, well, you know, that the whole game is a the whole game is about lying and stabbing. And even if you tell the truth, you, you you can't be mad at somebody who doesn't or you're missing the point and you're setting yourself up to be a victim. And so when I watched Ned Stark, I definitely thought of my friend because, uh, you know, he was the guy that he would pride himself. He, he would send his press out to you. He would say, hey, Kaner, uh, you know, I haven't told you a lie all game. Everything I've said has been true. And you could look at it and say, yeah, that, that that's true, but yep. it doesn't really help me that you tell the truth all the time. Uh, and that's the way Ned was. You know, Ned ends up dying because he'd rather not kill Cersei or make his play for the throne. And so he leaves himself and his family down there and, and ends up getting getting them killed and raped and, you know, exiled. And, you know, it, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy, but he's not he's not meant for the gate. And so he's somebody that just should found a new hobby i mean ned stark should not play diplomacy <laughs> you know it's just he he doesn't he doesn't know that he's not set up for it and there's plenty of players like that you know and 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 they play it because what they get out of it is the strategic challenge or the tactical challenge they love moving their pieces around the board and in that respect ned was was good you know Ned, you could see that ned knew something about fighting but he wasn't willing to uh he wasn't willing to, you know, Robert wants to send murderers over and kill Daenerys. And, and Ned looks at him like he's crazy and says, why would you do that? And Robert says, well, she's going to come back here with a horde of Dothraki. And Ned just looks at him like he's crazy and says, that, that's insane. It's impossible. And yet, you know, we, you know, if you're watching the series now, if you're not, you know, then don't listen. But, you know, if you're watching the series now, you know, the last episode we saw, you know, I don't know, 40,000 Dothraki screamers standing on their horses shooting arrows into people. And, you know, if you'd listened to Ned Stark, you would have believed that never could happen. So, yeah, <laughs> that kind of player is dangerous in a diplomacy game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's no, you're not going to make a new list at all? There's no convincing I, you? I don't know. I mean, should I, should I, should I do a new list or should I just... Uh, amend it or add to it with the new characters because that was pretty much through uh, two or three seasons I think the first list and then it really hasn't had any updates since then I, I guess I could um, you know one thing that became difficult was uh, Kaner is, is that a lot of the the Game of Thrones characters are female uh, I, I think it's you know I think that's one of the reasons why it's so widely popular is because you know, a lot of women uh, are interested in the show because they either identify with Arya or uh, Daenerys, not so much with uh, with uh, Sansa. And, 
and, Brie and some others. Uh, Brie, oh God, I would hope none would identify with her, but you know, I'm sure there are some that might. Uh, well, you know, that's an interesting story. You know, you all probably know somebody, a tomboy or something from our childhood. But uh, you know, and and you know, I, I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, well, you know, how am I going to call somebody in the game Cersei because I'm gonna I'm gonna call them a woman character and then they're going to be offended by that and and of course Cersei's mean and nasty and evil and i don't know if we have too many of those in our in our community but maybe maybe we do but i actually like cersei uh i think that uh I, i've come a completely full circle on the lannisters i i was one of the people that was cheering for for jamie and Bronn against the dragon so uh and and i kind of feel cersei's been a little uh, vindicated in some of the things she's done so uh but may, maybe i should call myself uh tywin and uh, you know, change my, change my, uh, my. I think I gave, I named myself Sandor Cocaine, and that's probably just because I like him a lot, the Hound. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I I don't I don't know. Maybe we should maybe we should do that. I'll, I might have to ask some suggestions, but uh, I could get to work doing that. I'll probably wait until this uh, this seventh season is, is over. But I mean, that's one of the things that, that made it difficult to do was that, uh, we don't have a lot of female players at VDIP. I'm sure there's one or two sort of lurking around, but I just decided that I didn't know if I could, uh, if people would cope with that. I remember, uh, you know, the one big controversy was our, our friend, uh, Fasci's, uh, was barking for a name. You know, he wanted to be assigned somebody and, and, this was at a particularly awkward moment for him and his, he's not around anymore, but I, I called him Jano Slint and he, he got very offended by it. And there was a protracted debate about it. And I, I guess in hindsight, that was pretty nasty of me to name him that because Janos is really a, you know, I, I didn't even know all that we know about Janos when I, when I named him that I, I pretty much just did it to, to point out that Fasis used to be a moderator on the site and he used to, be somewhat uh influential at at web dip but he got himself banned there and you know and so i was running the parallels between how jenna slint was the commander of the gold cloaks in king's landing and then when he ran afoul of Tyrion, got himself banished to the night's watch and so that's kind of what i was trying to play along with this guy and i really hadn't put that much thought into it but the the more he bickered and argued with me the more i started to have fun with it and played up on the other parts of it, which, you know, I don't know. I probably, even though I, I, I admit that I see them there, I probably wasn't going to call those out until he started picking a fight over it. But I went back and read it again and felt a little bit bad for the guy. So maybe I'll give him a new assignment or strip it and give that to someone else. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, wow. even my good, even my good buddy Retillion, who I feud with uh, endlessly on the site, I, you know, I, I gave him something, uh, I forget who, uh, but I, I, I gave him something that wasn't an insult. Uh, I, I looked at something and tried to uh, to forecast, you know, his personality into a Game of Thrones player. And I think the, the fun part with that is is all the characters are so good. They're, they're all fascinating characters. Like, nobody got Joffrey. I mean, nobody's going to be Joffrey. You know, I mean, if if we had a Joffrey, it would have to be somebody that was banned from the site, you know, that that had just been run off because because nobody's that that awful. 
uh, you know, so we'll do, we'll do another one after the seventh season. Because yeah. there are some fascinating new characters in it. So, Absolutely. I'll definitely look to reading it. Excellent. Well, um, I think that's pretty much a wrap. What do you think, Kana? Oh, it's great. Been talking for over an hour. Well, plus before that. So yeah, no, it's been really, really great. Thanks, Ruff. Uh, yeah, my only uh, regret is that I wasn't able to share uh, uh, alcoholic beverages with you guys uh, across the world. Are you drinking now? Uh, well, a little bit. <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> I've got a uh, a Devil's Backbone Vienna Lager. It's Ooh. a uh, it's a brewery uh, from my home state of Virginia, and it's uh, it's actually it's fair a fairly popular uh, microbrew, so very good taste. I'm not a hop fan, so uh, it, it's fun to get uh, you know it's fun to get a beer like that from your home state that has uh, has a little bit of a, a less bitter flavor. So. I, don't know, I don't know if they I don't know if they've uh, exported it to uh, to Australia yet but if if you guys ever make the trip I'll take you to the brewery that sounds good <laughs> all right excellent well thank you again very much for your time uh, roughhouse and uh, best of luck in your in your games and particularly with the end game for for boss and uh, no doubt we'll be in touch soon in the game same to you guys take care okay. Thank you very much. And I think we're back. We are. We're Cheers. back. Cheers. Great interview. Very, very good. Yes. The one thing I, I regret we should have I should have asked, I should have found out why has he got number eight at the end of his name. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I've always wondered that too. <laughs> damn it. Anyway, um, Raphouse 8, folks. I hope you got enough, like, as much out of it as we did. Um, it was a fun one. It was definitely a fun But informative. Yes. Yes, yes it was. Um, and mildly entertaining. Me apparently getting into bed with Loris all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Although, I thought he did it really, really well. It's like, you know, he was worried, he was actually legitimately worried that someone might be offended. Of, yes, sorry, I might be offended that I've been kind of created as a gay character. Right, look, I didn't even realise that, to be honest. Because the character in the book is not, I don't know, is it? Yeah. In the book, is he gay? I think he's gay, but they really kind of played it up more in the actual TV definitely series. Definitely played up more in the TV show. Um, so, look, I, I, I'm really looking forward to a new updated version of the Game of Thrones characters. I think that's uh, timely. Indeed. Indeed. Um, especially now that... Um, uh, oh, we, should have put a, we probably should have put a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, alert yeah. <laughs> Don't... <laughs> Especially now that John and uh, Daenerys seem to have this um, love fire the dragon. Oh, wait a sec. Have you seen episode five? I watched it. I haven't seen episode five yet. Oh, well, there's a bit of... Be a bit of um, I'll probably watch it in a couple of days. Dragon love going on. Dragon love. Is it kind of like, you know, when he got back into the cave with that, that red-headed wildling? But he knows nothing. Obviously. You know nothing, Joe Snow. Yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah, let you. Uh, oh, okay. I so won't there ruin you go. It too much. Um, and then they're going to later on find out that their brother and sister go. <laughs> well, when, when's incest ever stopped George? The brother and sister? No, I know. With, with that, the brother and sister or uncle and. Well, well they're definitely nephew. related in some yeah. way. Yeah. But let us not forget that it is a, uh, uh, a, a, a 
Fire and Ice, the story of Fire and Ice. A song of, a song fire, of fire and Ice. ice is the original uh, title of it. And um, I just... I think this the episode that's just recently played brings that... Is it good? It's a good episode. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well. I'll look forward to watching it soon. Yes, do that. Do that. So, um, yeah, great interview. A lot of fun. I enjoyed that one. In wrap-up, we also had a request to describe this YouTube um, about... <laughs> this YouTube. <laughs> like what, what is this? Um, basically, it's got to have been... And, and, and you have to click on the, 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 the show notes to connect to this YouTube. Um, but it's a song about birds, essentially. It's um, about a particular... About a particular Australian bird. bird, which is endemic. It's a, na- it's a native bird to Brisbane. And it's the ibis. 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 <laughs> what is it fucking you, called an ibis? Have you not have you not read American Gods or listened to the No? What are you talking about? It's an ibis. It's an ibis. Fuck's sake. Anyway. I have never, uh, ever, ever is this like a Victorian pronunciation? Well, how else would you pronounce it? Ibis. Okay, we'll call it an ibis for you. It's like, harder to say ibis than ibis. Ibis? I can't even say ibis. I've, you just did. Ibis. Ibis. <laughs> anyway, so this came through. Was this another one from Jason4747? Yeah, Jason. Jason. So I think, I think he was kind of making fun of our strange Australian accents, and this particular video is uh, done by an Australian talking about, sorry, singing about birds. And bird, yeah, so so look, have a look at that one. We've got a, we've got a link to it in the show notes. Um, profanity warning: they have some rude words in there. Some of them a bit more ruder than what we normally use on the show. One of them in particular. Um, yeah, look. So the the ibis, thank you. Is uh, it's an Australian native and it's um, it's endemic to southeast Queensland, isn't it, or Queensland? Well, it's like endemic. Never... It's actually technically. Endemic. Isn't it a native? Is it a native? That's what I'm saying. It's endemic. It's, it's, it's endemic. From. It's endemic. I thought endemic means there's too many of them. No, it's epidemic. Epidemic. Is it... I thought that's like epidemic. No, it's like when someone's is... going to die of a I'm virus. Sure. Endemic. Endemic to a local area. Ah, oh, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. if I'm using the wrong word, correct me. Um, but it's uh, it, it's one of the few native birds which has kind of successfully made the jump to being a scavenger, scavenger in yeah. an urban environment. Fucking feral things. Um, I don't mind them. I think they're pretty cute. But then I oh, never really grew up ugly. with them. Um, they're fucking ugly. They're ugly. I mean, one thing I was surprised about in this video is it doesn't show them how they have that really... Uh, two things. A, it kind of shows them going around scra- scavenging out of bins and shit like that, which they do all the time, and they're feral things. So do pigeons. So do possums. I know, but, so do, so do okay, raccoons. But, okay, okay. Pigeon. We don't have raccoons in Australia. Well, I know, but for our American listeners... If possums, possums don't get. Well, possums just eat shit off the trees. Um, but pigeons and okay, if pigeons and possums, using your analogy, they're grey, okay. So when they go around scavenging shit, you don't notice it because it's grey on grey. But these guys have like white feathers, well, so they just look yeah, they disgusting. Do, they do they look like they've been hanging out in the, the garbage chip for too long. And the other thing about them, which <laughs> is like two, two other things, which I hate about ibises is that, you know, the back of the head always looks disgusting. It looks like it's got some type of 
legionous. Oh, you're being so cruel. It's got like this legionous, disgusting skin condition happening there. Oh. And then whenever they kind of put their arms up in the air, you notice they've got like, those red feathers, but it looks like they're like literally they've lost all their feathers, and it's just like skinny, <laughs> skin scanty <flaps. laughs> blood crap. They're fucking disgusting animals. Well, look, no, I, 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 I like them, and I like how they've made the uh, the jump to surviving in an urban environment. Not many native Australian birds have managed to make that jump. So I, 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 I think they're. I think, um, I think they're, they're majestic. do a much better job. Oh, you just like the colours of their feathers. Yeah, they're nice. They're pretty. They make lots of noises. Like hang out in you know gum trees and eat all the gum stuff and the flowers and stuff rather than just crap out of the bin. Oh, look, I mean, we altered the urban environment so much that we probably you cracked know, on about this too much. Yeah, we have. You're just showing your ISIS phobia. ISIS. Ibis. Ibisophobia. Ibisophobia. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, look. Now, I did actually notice. So that was from Jason. And we'd actually skipped over a whole topic that we intended to cover on the show, Kana. Did we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the question that came in from Vorben about what do you have to do to make a variant? Oh. And then we're going to talk all about variants. Yeah. So that's a huge question. What do you have to do to make a variant? Um, I, I suppose you can... Probably a really good place to start off with, with if you're going to design one from scratch or if you're going to port them in. But a good way to start if you're going to design one, I'd suggest, is to look at the variant bank, look at other variants and see what is working, what is not working. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing that it's more like what do you need to do to program it into the code. Did you get that? Well, there's a bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm just thinking, is it something that we want to... Do we want to hold this one over to the next episode, or um, yeah, look, or cover it off now. It's, um, it's quite an in-depth. Yeah, it is. A, is it quite a chunky it, one? Yeah, we need to. And we've been crapping on about ibises for too long. Ibises for too long. Um, yeah, look, let's cover that in the next episode. Okay. Cool. Well, what I'll do? How about what we'll do? We'll, we'll mix it up a bit. We'll take something out of our, sh- our, our our show notes. Sorry, not show notes. What do we call these things called? Run notes. Run notes. Yeah. Run sheet. Run sheet. We have a yeah. run sheet, everyone. Kind of, I think we mentioned before. We'll take something out of the run sheet that we plan for the next episode. It won't take too long. Okay. Bring it forward and we'll push that one back. Sure. Let's do that. Ratings and reviews. Okay. We have some. Have we? Yes. Oh, brilliant. Fuck it. We talked about this. Oh, we did. Yeah, okay. You're talking about our show. I'm thinking, thinking, I'm thinking do we talk about... Well, V-point rankings and ratings? No. Okay. Okay. So for a long while, everyone would always know that when we get somewhere towards the end, I kind of rabbit, either me or you, rabbit on about doing some ratings and reviews and iTunes and and whatnot. And um, we actually have both a review, our first review in iTunes, which I fucked up and didn't bring with me. And because of the way the iTunes store works... Ambie's well prepared. It'll have to wait for a couple of weeks. But we did have one that came through about um, from Stitcher. Okay, what's, what's it can, say? I'm trying to bring it up. You talk, I'm trying to find it. I'm going to have to press pause. Amby's frantically flicking through his um, Here it is. extensive list of stuff on his phone, looking for uh, this review. Here we are. Is this it? No, it's not it. No, it's not it. He keeps sending me these emails about birds. Oh, fuck. I'm going to have to edit this out. Where is it? That's got to be it. Jesus. 
That's a bit long. Anyway, it's a long one, but it's a positive one. No, this is something else. This is when he talks about we should be talking about birds. <laughs> okay, okay. But we're going to wrap it up here. Um, thank you for listening. To oh, another... here it is. Oh, no. Yes. Okay, good. Here it is. So this is our first Stitcher review from Jason. Jason's kind of been very, very prominent on this particular show, and we'll make a mention of the next one. So the um, his, his review is that um, you guys really bring a great technical depth as well as the actual drama of the games you're in, which is exactly the kind of thing I look for. I don't think we're too technical. I, I, I lose myself in my own technical ability. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, no. no, we're not that technical, are we? I don't know. You talk about the game mechanics and the behind-the-scene coding and a bit of the inter-website rivalries, but you fairly talk up all of them. That's fair. That's a fair statement, yeah. Uh, it's great you avoid the trash talk or put down of other websites. I like that. There's no point trash-talking anybody, is there? We're all part of the same whole hobby. That's right. We're all, yeah. we're all together. Um, you open my eyes to lots of new ones and how they relate. Everyone has their preferences and they can change. You guys do a great um, talking about all aspects of the hobby. Um... It's also great when I listen. I think to myself, "What's the coding or the management process like?" And then you quite literally describe it. Also, as a fan, I've also googled every bar that you go to, so I can visualise the exotic, at least by American standards, locales and the types of adult beverages you have. Love that. You don't talk about that enough. I always search out new and fun beers from around the world, and many of yours are now on my list. Brilliant. How about that? Um, you guys want to say a couple other things? He wants more jokes, especially after a few more drinks. Okay, well, we can slip that into the next um, oh. with the next episode. We could, I can think of a couple. Closing comments. Um, the double episode recording process works really well, as Ambie's use of the fuck word goes up by 38% by my account in the latter alcohol-fueled second episode. <laughs> well, this, that's good news, because we're doing a double, uh, double recording. And I love the interviews. The disguised voice on Care Bear was hilarious. All your guests have been right on the mark. Seriously, keep up the good work. Jason. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. So um, we will read in a couple more episodes um, the iTunes reviews because by then hopefully I've worked out how to fucking save them onto my phone. Good idea. So I think that's about it. We'll we'll close up this one and then we're going to do not just a double recording but we're going to do a pub crawl, aren't we? Yeah, we're moving to a different pub. Um, What's the name of the next one? Savile Row. Savile Row. That sounds um, seductive. I was going to say British. Uh, that way they make the suits. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll soon find out. Anyway, All right. cheers. See, oh. <laughs> that, that was a <laughs> <laughs> <your> cigarette lighter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.